Hey everyone, it's great to have you with us. If you're joining us for the first time or uh, you've been dipping in and out in the last couple of weeks, you're particularly welcome. Um, we love to meet new people. Um, and with that in mind, uh, at the end of the video, there'll be some details with some contact information. Um, and so if you'd like to, please do drop us a line. We'd love to get to know you better. Uh, for regulars with us at the Beacon Church, you should be getting the weekly update email in your inboxes. Uh, don't forget to read through that, have a look at um, the different information that's shared in there. I just wanted to draw your attention particularly to uh, the video that Steve has included this week, uh, encouraging us to pray for trailblazers. Um, so please, if you haven't already had a chance, please do take the time to watch that video. We're going to be hearing from Bob in just a few moments, who's going to continue our series in Hebrews. Uh, but before we do that, I, I just felt challenged this week um, and reminded of uh, the passage in James where it says that we should be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes uh, in the busyness of life, I can hear a really good message. And in that moment, I think, oh, yeah, that, that's great. I really need to do something about that. Um, and then it falls out in the mind. I don't do anything about it. Um, and I, we just move on to the next week and listen to the next message. And sometimes that uh, can happen quite a few times. Um, Last week's message from Pete Skabitsky uh, was uh, looking at rest and I felt particularly challenged. Uh, in Matthew 11 verse 28 it says, Come to me all who labour and are heavy laden. Uh, in the NIV it says, All who are weary and burdened. Uh, and I feel weary at the moment. I feel really weary. Um, and so the, the timeliness of that message that um, God put on Pete's heart has really challenged me to do something uh, about coming to God and resting in God um, and with God and carving out that time to rest with our Father um, and just be with Jesus. So I just wanted to put a little challenge out there this week. Um, Perhaps there's been something in one of the last few messages in Hebrews or maybe something from the previous series where you've had that that prickle in the heart that you, know, you, you should take action here. Um, and perhaps if you haven't taken action or it's kind of fallen off the radar a bit, maybe, maybe this week, this week's the time to take action, to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Um, it, life's busy. This isn't to make you feel bad. This isn't to um, berate you for not making changes in your life uh, after every single message. But um, you know in your heart if there's something that um, you need to do after hearing one of these messages. Um, and so, yeah, I just encourage you to take action and may maybe talk to a friend about it and be accountable. So we're going to hear from Bob now. I'm just going to pray um, and then Bob will take it from there. Yeah, thank you, Father, that you are a loving God full of grace. I thank you, Father, that you speak to us through your word, um, 
through the word that you have given us uh, in the Bible, Lord. And as Bob opens up your word to us this morning, I pray, Father, that we will be hearers and doers of the word, that uh, that your heart, your uh, words will touch our hearts and touch our minds this morning. Amen. Over to you, Bob. Well, good morning, Beacon Church. This is the fifth in our series on Hebrews. And my passage this morning is taken from Hebrews 4, verse 11 to verse 16. The passage I was given was slightly longer than that, but I'm just going to focus on those verses this morning in the 20 minutes we have together. So I wonder if you want to read with me for starting from verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all that are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge we're in a time of need at the moment. Lord, we can't meet together as a church. Lord Jesus, we're meeting um, virtually and we need your encouragement and your blessing. And we just pray this morning as we go through these verses together that you'll minister by the power of your spirit. You'd help us to understand and to be encouraged and blessed in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I want to start this morning by introducing some of you and reminding some of you uh, of a Romanian pastor, Richard Wormbrand. He spent 13 years in a communist prison, including three years in an underground bunker in solitary confinement. When he was released, he had put to memory 350 sermons. And because of the way he memorised them, he managed to write down 348 of them. What an example he is, as we feel a bit constrained in our houses, don't we? We feel here we're um, slightly hemmed in with various rules about what we can and we can't do. and We look towards the future and it's uncertain, isn't it? But what an example he was of keeping going, preaching to himself and memorising those. And I'm going to use an illustration that he used for one of those sermons uh, towards the end. An amazingly powerful illustration. But I just think the man encourages us, doesn't he, Richard Wormbrand? Anyway, let's look at the passage. I'm going to start from verse 12. Obviously, verse 11 was talking about the link between what we heard last week from Pete and this week. And now verse 12, it says this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, I don't know what you think about when you hear of the words, the word of God. I've always traditionally thought, well, that must be the Bible. The Bible is what's important, isn't it? The word of God, that must be 
the Bible. Anyway, let's look at the passage. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, I don't know what you understand by the word of God, but I have always traditionally understood it as being the Bible. The word of God being living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's, it's the Bible, isn't it? It's when we read the Bible that speaks to us. It's living, it speaks to us. And it's sharp in the way that it, it, it kind of pierces through into us. But as I began to think about this and research this verse, I began to think, well, the writer of the Hebrews wouldn't have had the Bible that we have. You might have had the Pentateuch or the Torah, might have had some element of that, but actually he didn't. So he couldn't be referring to the Bible. So what was, what is the word of God here specifically meaning? It's interesting if you even go back right to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis 1, it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the verse three, God said, let there be light, the word of God. God said, let there be life. Now that's living, that's active, isn't it? Powerful. In verse seven, God said. In verse nine, God said. The universe being creative, that's living and active. That's the word of God, isn't it? That's powerful. So how are we to understand this phrase as we get into this, this whole passage here? How do we understand this phrase of the word of God? Now, some of you may be thinking, well, interestingly, the word of God, that makes me think of the passage in John 1. In John chapter 1, it says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And you have this phrase here again, the word of God. And many of us know that passage really well, and we might even know that, that word of God comes from the Greek word logos. And interestingly, here in Hebrews 4, verse 12, we also have the Greek word logos. That's what it was translated from. So does it not actually mean the words of the Bible? Does it actually mean here the words of Jesus? The one spoken of in John 1. Are we actually talking about Jesus here? Or is there some other understanding? Because I think actually both of those have some merit. It is to do with the word of God in the Bible, where we see many of the words of Jesus. It is to do with the words of Jesus, how he speaks to us, what he says to us. But actually, it's a little bit broader than that. It's more all-encompassing than that. You see, Donald Guthrie, a commentator on this passage, says this. It's a more general sense of God's message to man. It's everything in every way that God speaks to man. And we know that through the Bible, God speaks to us. And that's the way we understand things. That's the way we measure. In fact, it's kind of like a plumb line, isn't it? We measure things by the word of God, by the Bible. That's a key part of it. But also the words of Jesus are crucial, aren't they? When he says to us, come to me, all who are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. You think, oh, the words of Jesus say that to me. That's powerful. That's living. That's active. When he says, um, go into all the world and preach the good news. We think, oh, yeah, that's the word of God to me. That's living. That's active. And that's crucial, isn't it, in understanding. And the words of Jesus are crucial as well. The Bible. Jesus. But also, as 
are charismatic people. We believe God can speak today, don't we? We believe that uh, when his spirit washes over us, we believe we hear prophecy and we, uh, we hear from him. It's in a different way and we measure it to the Bible, but we hear from God. And sometimes, you know, we just sense God's words to us in different ways. Maybe when we're reading a creed, as will come up later. Maybe when um, we hear the advice of a more experienced Christian. Maybe just when we're looking at a sunset and we sense the word of God. Here we're talking about all these things. So that, if you like, is my first point, the all-encompassing word of God here. Okay, number two. In verse 12, yeah, okay, I'm still in verse 12. The word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, interestingly, the word of God is often in the New Testament compared to a sword, or dare I say it, even a two-edged sword. In Ephesians 6, 17, it says this, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So there we go. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Word of God compared to a sword. It's obviously the sharpness of a sword. It's the, the blade. It's that piercing nature that's emphasized in Revelation 1.16. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Again, what came from the mouth of God, the words of God, was sharp two-edged sword. Why compare the word of God to a sword? It's not something that necessarily does damage to us, so that's not the understanding. But it's the idea, I feel, that it penetrates, that a sword can go in, that it penetrates right to the heart of things. That it speaks deeply to our heart and to our thoughts. It speaks into our mind. It is powerful in the way the word of God speaks to us. If we move on a little bit to verse 13, uh, the passage says this, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to whom we must give account. It's the idea of, of being uh, laid bare before God, isn't it? And also the idea that our motives and our thoughts and our actions are judged, if you like, by God, because we've got to give him account. He shows us, doesn't he, through his word. He showed us through his word how to live productive, fruitful, godly, righteous lives. But he also challenges us when we get it wrong. When we sin, when we do things we oughtn't to do or don't do things we should do, when we think things we shouldn't, when we go our own way. When we, if you like, rebel against God because we just want to do what we want to do. That selfishness that is somehow still inside all of us, even though we've given our lives to Jesus. So it begins to shine a little bit of a light on that. And the fourth part that I really want to pick out is verse 15, because it, it says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's amazing, isn't it? 
He can sympathise. But he has been tempted in every way, but with, without sin. He's never given in to any of the temptations. And there's an element here that every temptation that we have, Jesus felt, because he can sympathise exactly with that. And you may say, well, wait on, wait on, just, just wait a minute, Bob, because, you know, he lived 2,000 years ago. There are challenges, there are uh, opportunities for me to walk in different ways that wouldn't have been round to thousand years ago I, do, I don't understand I don't understand you you know the, the, the things that I, I I struggle with really Jesus can empathize with that the best way of understanding this I think comes from C.S. Lewis in his book Mere Christianity let me just quote a bit for you he says no man knows how bad he is till he's tried very hard to be good the silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes, simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. Wow, that's amazing. Only Jesus really knows temptation because he never, never gave into it. Only he knows the extent of the temptation. Well, I hope that's helped you looking at those elements of the passage. It's such a rich passage, so many other things I could have taken out of it. I want to now come back to that pastor, that Romanian pastor I mentioned at the beginning, and just tell you his story, because I think this rounds off what I'm gonna say nicely today. So in his book, Alone with God, Pastor Wormbrand shares a story from his life before prison. So before he went into prison, he was a, a pastor and he had preached twice on a Sunday. And after that, he felt an urge to go to the pub. Now, his wife wasn't very keen on this because she said, well, you've preached twice about drunkenness and, and against alcohol. Should you really be going to the pub? So she thought it was a good idea to go with him. When he entered the pub, he understood why he'd been brought there, because in the middle of the pub was a Russian army captain with his finger on the trigger of a revolver, threatening to shoot everyone. Now, as Pastor Wormbrand so happened to speak Russian, he managed to calm down the situation and persuade the bar manager to allow him another drink. And Pastor Wormbrand sat in the corner of the pub with the Russian army captain to hear his tale. And as the army captain talked, Pastor Wormbrand began to share with him about Jesus, about how he'd come to earth, about how he 
understands everything that we go through about how he led a perfect life and then died on a cross for us to make us right with God, to draw us into his eternal purposes. As we repent and we turn towards him, that we can know Jesus as our saviour and our Lord. Now, I don't know what it was, whether it was the confidence given by the Russian speaking, the alcohol that he was drinking, or who knows, whether it was the the sound of the words of Jesus coming back to him after many years. You see, he'd been an Orthodox priest when under Stalin, 80,000 priests were killed. And he began to tell his story. And he said this, I was terribly frightened. And so I accepted the offer which the communists made to become an atheist lecturer. Though believing in God, I agreed to go from town to town, from village to village, to convince people that there is no God, no Christ, no eternal life. I have destroyed the faith of many people, including my former parishioners. He then came to the culmination and said, you know, I even shot Christians who refused to serve in the Red Army. Is it any wonder he was there drunk in a pub waving around a gun? He's like, he was a devastated man. So Pastor Wormbrand took him through a creed that he would have remembered from his days in the Russian Orthodox Church. And he stopped on the phrase forgiveness for sins. And he persuaded him that day to pray and to receive forgiveness for his sins from Jesus. How amazing. We can't really finish this passage without that concept of the grace of God. Let me just go back to that final part because it says in verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need, find the grace to help in time of need. You know, my sense is like that Russian soldier, that there are times, maybe because we've been by ourselves, we really do need to come back to the cross, to come back to Jesus. And just to just to say, look, Lord, this is where I am. This is what I've done. I know you see everything. I know you know everything. But by your word of God, I, I, I just sense that you're. You're challenging me on some things I'm doing wrong, some things I'm thinking wrong. Um, you know, we really can be completely undone by the word of God, completely um, feel like we are um, kind of naked before him. And now, now I want to just make it right through Jesus. I know um, what an amazing gospel it is, what an amazing saviour you are. Let me just read a verse just to confirm that. Uh, 1 John 1 9 said if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well I hope today has been helpful for you. I hope that amazing passage in Hebrews 14 will be in your mind. I hope that um, that sense that story from Pastor Wormbrand will challenge you and maybe even he will challenge you the way that he survived in 
solitary confinement for three years. You know, if he can do that, we can do it for a few months slightly distantly, can't we? And we can keep honourable week of God. We can keep reading our Bibles. We can keep praying. We can keep pressing on. We can keep having a passion for Jesus. We can keep fighting against ungodliness. We can strive for that rest that was talked about. And we can come out of this, come through this, come with this, with the, the, the power of the gospel, with the closeness of Jesus to make a difference in this world. Do you know, I hope you have a great week, that you are mightily blessed. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Bob. That story at the end is just uh, so exciting and encouraging um, to to hear of those things that happen. And it's been great over the weeks to hear of stories happening within our community as well, where people have been sharing about Jesus, about sharing uh, the word. Uh, so that's us for this week uh, below the video in the description will be some a couple of links to some worship um, just to help you uh, respond and worship this week uh, but for now uh, that's all from me I pray you have a blessed week